Father, what incredible truth. What can we do, Lord, but just stand in silence and awe at the truth of that statement right there? That you are perfectly holy, you're perfectly righteous, and there is none like you. None ever has been, none is, and none ever will be. So, Lord, we take a moment right now to pause in the presence of our holy God, a God who's worthy of all our praise, all our love, all our affection. And we say thank you that you have called and chosen us as your people. Who are we? Not by our works, not by our stature, but by the grace and love and mercy of Jesus Christ on our behalf. That's awesome truth. That's life-changing. That is the greatest truth of all time. So we bow in recognition to that this morning. And Lord, I pray right now we would humble our hearts under the authority of your word. It's so easy to hear a message and walk away unchanged, like looking in a mirror, just walking away, forgetting what we look like. But God, I pray you would press your word into our hearts today by the power and conviction and encouragement of your Holy Spirit. God, would you be changing lives today and that we would not rebuff it we would gladly, willingly, and joyfully come under the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts this morning, whatever that may be. Lord, whatever we have come from this week, whatever anxieties are pressing in, whatever cares or concerns, Lord, just as we sang, that we would set our heart fully on you, knowing that when we are in you, nothing can shake us. Nothing is overpowering for you. Nothing can take you out, Father, but you are God of all and Lord over all. May we rest in the authority of you today, in the sovereignty of you today, and in your love for us today. Lord, guard my heart from error. Guard my mouth from error today. God, say what you want to say to your church by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Church, if you agree, say amen. 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 You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, church, as Curtis already mentioned, happy Thanksgiving. I'm so, so blessed to be here with you this morning. And today we are continuing on in our series through 1 John called Walking in the Light, verse by verse, word by word, through the whole book of 1 John. And today's message title is called Abiding in Him. Abiding in Him. That is a life-changing truth right there in that title, by the way. And we're going to unpack what that looks like today for us. We need clarity on what that is and what God asks of us as his people. If you do not have a Bible, put your hand up right now because our ushers are coming forward and I'm just going to give you a little spoiler alert here. You're going to need it. Okay. We're going to be going to two different passages of scripture today. So make sure you have a copy of God's word in your hand because you won't see it on the screen. All right. So make sure you get a copy in your hand so you can follow along. And we're taking from 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. 1 John chapter 2, 3 to 6. And I want to ask you a question that's going to set the tone for the rest of this message. Love seeing our ushers running, by the way, just to give out Bibles. That's just, I don't know why that's so amusing. Ian's probably not very amused, but I'm pretty amused. That's amazing. Good job, team. Well done. Love you. All right. Question for today. How do you know... Uh, someone's a Christian. How do you know someone's a Christian? See, that's a loaded question. There's a lot of ideas that people have about what being a Christian means. So uh, here's a good approach. Whenever you're wanting to answer a question, go back to what the Bible says. 
okay? Not what pop culture says, not what your best friends, go back to what your Bible says, all right? So let's give a very, very simplified definition of what a Christian means, and it is this, someone who has repented of their sin, has confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and surrendered their life to him. See that? Three things. Repent, confess, surrender. Someone who has repented of their sin, has confessed Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and surrendered their life to him. Okay? If we could take all of what being a Christian is all about, it's right there. Okay? And so what are the evidences of this in one's life that show one to be a true follower of Jesus Christ? This is a very important, you say, why is this so important? It's a very important question to ask, and you'll see some statistics in a moment on the screen as to why this is important. Pew Research Study. This is as of October 3rd, 2017. Okay, fresh off the press. 67.3% of Canadians identify themselves as Christians. Let's just say that again. 67.3%, almost 70% of our country identifies themselves as Christians. So I did a little math. I used to be a math teacher, so I did a little math. Our population, according to the UN, as of October 3rd, is 36,708,695 people. That means... If we take 67.3% of that number of our population, that means 24,704,952 people are born-again followers of Jesus Christ in this nation. Just think about that for a moment. These stats highlight the issue. What we obviously see through this loved ones, is that the practice of many of these people who identify themselves as Christians does not match their proclamation. Otherwise, this society would look a lot different, don't you think? Practice doesn't match proclamation. See, the problem is this, that is highlighted by these statistics. We live in a culture where many people are deceived into thinking that you can follow Christ without the need to obey him. We live in a culture that is increasingly deceived in thinking that you can claim the name of Jesus Christ, but yet not obey the commands of Jesus Christ. In paying lip service to Christ and living lives that quote-unquote follow him out of, more out of convenience than conviction. How about you? Is your walk with Jesus Christ, is my walk with Jesus Christ more characterized out of convenience than conviction? That's a sobering question. Just ask the question. Don't get prideful and rebut. Just ask yourself the question. Because what we will clearly see today from these four penetrating passages of Scripture is this simple truth. A true follower of Christ will live increasingly in obedience to Christ. Simple truth. A true follower of Christ, one who is genuinely born again and not just claiming the name of Jesus Christ, will live increasingly in obedience to Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way, you'll see it on the screen, sums it up. He says, only he who believes is obedient. 
And only he who is obedient believes. Penetrating. Only he who believes is obedient. And only he who is obedient believes. It's a sobering word. This was true in between 90 and 95 AD when John is writing this letter. And I think you've seen quite clearly it's true for us today. So let's get some context on our passage this morning. John continues his letter to the church and is writing here to address the false teachers. Remember, they're called the Gnostics. The Gnostics who are invading the church and they're claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ but showed they were not because the lives that they live were not lived in obedience to the word of God and how he commands or expects his followers to live. And not only were they themselves deceived by their lifestyle and by these guys being leaders and teachers in the church, they were deceiving others too. You can claim the name of Christ, you don't have to obey him. Sobering. Sobering word. And here John gives us two clear indicators we must embrace, church, of what the life of a true Christ follower looks like and how we are called to live that out in obedience to him. Two crucial truths we must embrace of what the life of a Christ follower looks like and how we're called to live that out in obedience to him. Now to honor the word of the Lord, let's stand for the reading of scripture. First John chapter 2. Verses three to six. John goes on to say, and by this we know him. By this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Verse four, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. What we see here first off, to live as a true Christ follower, you must display this first, the proof of salvation, genuine obedience to Christ. The proof of salvation, genuine obedience to Christ. Look at verse 3. John says this, and by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. So clear, so simple, so clear. John now gives the third test of a true Christ follower in this letter, a life that is lived in obedience to God's word. How do you tell a true follower of Christ? One who lives in obedience to God's word. Now recall from the two previous tests that John's given since the start of verse one in chapter one, he starts out, in identifying genuine followers of Christ with the first test, a doctrinal test on the proper view of Jesus Christ. Do you believe he was incarnate? Do you believe he was fully God and fully man? Do you believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth, lived a perfect life, died for our sins upon a cross, was buried, was raised three days later, and now in him alone we have the forgiveness of sin? That's doctrinal test number one. Doctrinal test number two John gave in verses five to ten was... Do we have a proper view of sin? Does someone who claims the name of Christ have a proper view of sin, i.e., that we are indeed sinners in need of a Savior? Or do we say, we don't have sin. I'm not sinning. That's not sin. More and more in our culture, we're seeing that. What's sin? What's truth, for that matter? It's relative. No, it's not. Why? Because God says it's not. Test number three right here that we see is now not a doctrinal test, but it's a moral test. It is a moral test of obedience to scripture, an objective, tangible assurance of one's faith. 
living out the truth of God's word. Look at the text. He says, verse three, and by this we know that we've come to know him. Okay, so the first word, know, that John uses there, the Greek means this, to recognize or to know absolutely. Let's insert that back in the text. By this, we recognize and know absolutely that we've come to know him. Okay, clear? Then he moves on. By this, we come to know or recognize absolutely that we have come to know him. Different word for know there. Okay, the second word for know, the Greek, is not just knowing facts about God. Okay, loved ones, know this, please know this. Knowledge of God does not save you. Knowledge without God, without a response of repentance, does not save you. We can know a lot of facts about God that will not save us. A heart response will, by faith, belief, and grace, given to us by Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. So the second word there is not just knowing facts about God, but that word know there means having a personal or firsthand experience with God or a personal relationship with him that transforms behavior and gives evidence of a changed life. Insert it back in, both of this. By this, we recognize absolutely that we have a personal relationship with God if we keep his commandments. See that? There it is. So clear, so simply put, so powerful, so convicting. See, John states that one of the clearest objective measures of a genuine faith in Christ is this, a life lived in obedience to scripture, which is a life that is modeled after the life of Jesus Christ. He fulfilled God's word completely in how he lived. And so this is a genuine test of all those who call on his name. Now what John's not talking about here, this isn't some flippant obedience. Like when I get around to it, like I said, remember? Out of convenience? When it's convenient for me to obey scripture, then I will. He's not talking about some flippant obedience, but an intentional, consistent, increasing, and enduring obedience through the, here, this is key, not through your power, not through mine, through the power of Christ that is at work in a person. False teachers will claim the name of Jesus Christ, but they didn't obey him, and they won't obey him in their lives. This is talking about Christ's power in us. Now, let me just clarify something. Let me just clarify something. John's not talking about sinless perfection here. Understand? I sin. You? I sin. Yep. He's not talking about living sinlessly perfect, but he's talking about a perseverance in obedience through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in a genuinely saved person's life. See, because here, here's the reality. We're going to unpack this in a little bit. You and I in our flesh, we don't naturally drift towards godliness. I mean, that would make things a lot easier, don't you think? We just don't naturally go there. So how can we say that it's on our own works that that happens? It can't. Everyone say, it can't. Everyone say, I'm thankful that it can't. I need a savior. Yeah. It can't do that on our own. We don't naturally drift there. This is why God calls his people to be men and women of distinction. This is what makes us distinct. The genuine follower of Christ from everyone else who's claiming the name but not doing anything about it. Okay? 
We all sin and will continue to sin until we get to heaven. But those who truly know God will not be, okay, will not be characterized by ongoing habitual sin in their lives that is going on unchecked. If you are a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, this is what John's talking about. Your life will not be characterized by genuine, ongoing, habitual sin. That is going on unchecked, and you're okay with it. But when God reveals it, remember how I said two weeks ago, revelation from God always leads to responsibility before God. When he reveals something in our hearts, we have the responsibility by the power of his Holy Spirit, if we are genuinely in him, to take it before him and repent of it and be cleansed of that and continue to move forward in holiness by his spirit. They will not be characterized by ongoing habitual sin. And this is why John goes on to say, look at, look at this, verse 4. He goes on to say, whoever says that I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. See, the word keep there in the Greek means, I love this, write this one down, to watch over or to guard or to observe. Insert that back in. Whoever says, I know him, but does not watch over or guard the commands of God in their life, the truth is not in him. Guarding it. As a soldier guards something precious. The word of God is precious in the life of a genuine believer. It's not flippant. They don't pick and choose what parts they're going to obey. The true Christ follower guards the truth of Scripture in their hearts as the most important thing in their lives. Literally, the most important thing in their lives. Why? Because God knows how he wants his people to live. And it's not some restrictive, you know, dictatorship that God's like, I came that you would be set free. You want to live in freedom? This is how. It's not getting everything you want all the time. That's going to hurt you. You want to live in true freedom? Go by the book. By the power of his Holy Spirit in us. And we don't pick and choose which parts of his word we will or won't follow by his spirit. We say, yeah, I'll follow Jesus Christ here, but this area, I like this too much. I'm going to follow my flesh. It doesn't work like that. If that's ongoing in your life, take it before the Lord and say, God, I got to get this right with you. Not sinless perfection, but a faithful perseverance. And how do we know this? How do we know this? That the true follower of Christ will guard God's word and be changed by it, by the spirit in them? You'll see it on the screen. Simple truth. The power of Christ in you will always move towards obedience to Christ through you. Simple truth. The power of Christ in you is not meant to be in you, so you stay where you are. The power of Christ in you by the power of the Holy Spirit always moves us towards obedience, increasing obedience to Christ. How do we know this? Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6, Paul says this, and I am sure, notice the emphasis there? He didn't have to put that. He says, I know this. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, when you were saved and sealed by the Holy Spirit, he will bring that good work to completion. What's the good work? Christ-likeness, holiness, righteousness. He will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. That's why we're not going to be sinless in this life, because it's only going to be completed on that day. He will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. But it's always moving us more towards holiness, towards godliness, towards obedience. That's what Christ's spirit does. 
And this is why we can confidently say this. I was at the training center in Chicago for church planting for harvest, and James McDonald said something that I won't forget. He said this, if your faith hasn't changed you, your faith hasn't saved you. Done. If your faith that you believe you have in Jesus Christ has not changed you, your faith has not saved you. Because the Holy Spirit's always moving us more towards the completion of Christ-likeness. It's a simple question, loved ones. Is your walk matching your talk? Again, not sinless for perfection. We're, not, we're gonna unpack this next point. We're not talking about some legalistic pursuit by works. You're saying, does your walk match your talk? If you claim the name of Jesus Christ, are you obedient? What commandments are you not walking in obedience to? And you know it's time to start, even from right now. Right now, as God's word goes over you, and I pray into you, and it's pressing into you, what is the Holy Spirit showing you? You know what? That's not walking in connection with what God wants. What do we need to do right now to get right with him? What's your next step? Maybe, maybe for some of us, it's purity. Shut off the computer screen. Get some accountability. Maybe for some of us, it's integrity at home or in the workplace. Are you, are you working with integrity? Are you taking longer breaks? Even by five minutes? Even by... Needs to stop. We want to be above reproach. God calls his people to live with distinction. How about in the classroom? Are you cheating on your assignments? Showing up late? Consistently? Walking with purity, walking with integrity. Here it is. Having church as a priority or not. Again, so increasingly, don't we just see this? People who claim the name of Christ just making church out of convenience. The church is the hope of the world. God has given it to us, and it's a blessing to be a part of it. It's by his mercy we are called to be a part of it. And as such, are we making it a priority and obeying his command to not stop meeting together, but all the more as you see the day approaching, that same day, Jesus Christ's return? All the more. How about this? This is one that I struggled with and God gave me a wonderful wife to convict me through of this. And it is this. How about baptism? Those of us claiming the name of Jesus Christ yet saying, I haven't been baptized. First question is, if you've really surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you all in, but yet you won't take the first step to be baptized. I just ask, why? Why not? He commands us to be baptized. Matthew 28, 19 to 20. And you know what? We have a baptism service coming up next month. And you can sign up at the table at the back because I believe there's people here that need to take that step. And again, this isn't, you're not sitting here under condemnation if you're in Jesus Christ. You're not sitting under condemnation. You're saying, this is, take this as a love gift from the Holy Spirit to say, this is something I need to get right. This is something God's asking me to do. Don't sit there and be like, oh man, I suck as a Christian. Stop. Stop. God loves you. He's called you. He cares about you. And he, I love you so much. I'm going to show you right now through my word what's hindering my walk, my growth in you and your walk into more of my image. 
So you'll see this to sum that up. A genuine love for Christ is evidence in a faithful obedience to Christ. We could sum that whole thing up. A genuine love for Christ. Notice the connection. A genuine love for Christ is evidenced in a faithful obedience to Christ. See, there's a direct connection or parallel between your love for Jesus and your obedience to him. Did you catch what John said right here? And we'll unpack what Jesus says in a moment. There's a direct connection between your love for Christ and your obedience to him. Growing in love for him, growing delight to do his will. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It's still going to be hard. But a growing love for Christ leads to growing delight in doing his will. How do we know this? Don't take my word for it. Let's, uh, let's take Jesus' word, okay? That's a good place to go. John 14, 15, you'll see it on the screen. It says this. Jesus says, if you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love, obedience. Increasing love, increasing obedience. As God gives us his heart, as God fills us with his spirit, as he continues to move us towards Christ's likeness, he's like, get out of here, darkness. Get out of here, sin. You're hindering my light in you and through you into this world. Get out of here. And we confess that and the Holy Spirit's fighting this sin in our lives and we are called to join him in that. And there's a delight that happens when we bring that sin out of the darkness of isolation and fear of getting rejected. We bring it into the light and God's like, yes. And he lands the killer blow on that thing and then you can start to walk in freedom from it. And your love and delight in the Lord increases and your longing for obedience does too. Direct connection. And some people, I just want to clarify something. Some people may be here and thinking, listen, you're just telling me to be legalistic. You're just telling me to be legalistic in my walk with the Lord, in using words like charge that God gives and command and rule and ordinance. Religion's all about rules. and it, Using words like obey, pursue, Listen, I'm saved by faith through Jesus Christ and it's not by my works. I'm not doing that. I don't have to. It's so easy to go there. And that's where your pride wants you to go. Careful. Careful. And if that's you this morning, I will say this. In love, I will say this. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We are not saved by our works. Clear? Clear? Everyone go like this. Yep, clear. We're not saved by our works. We can't earn it, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, if you don't believe me. You can't earn your way to God. But in love, I remind you of this. How did God show his love for us? How did God show his love for us? If that's the love we're supposed to model, how did God show his love for us, church? God showed his love for us in this, that he, what? Sent his son. What does that mean? God acted. God acted. It's love in action. He acted in his love for us when he sent Jesus Christ and he's continuing to act in love for us by the power of his Holy Spirit in changing us to be more like him. He's continuing to act. And so we are called to act also in our love for him and others. We love because he first loved us. He first loved us in action and we can love him in action by his power through us and in us. We love because he first loved us. 
And to, to clarify this, if we haven't got this already, we need to make this crystal clear. You are not working for your salvation, but your obedience to Christ is an outflow of your salvation and your love for him and others. You're not working for your salvation, but your obedience to Christ is an outflow of your salvation, which should be not perfect, but increasing if we are genuinely born again. See, you'll see this uh, on the screen. This is love in action. Christ's forgiveness of you never negates the responsibility for obedience from you. Don't say, well, Jesus did it all. I don't have to do anything. Oh, no, 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 no. We are exhorted by the grace of God because of what Jesus has done for us to live lives of obedience to him by his power in us. This this hit me this week so squarely between the eyes. Christ's forgiveness of you never negates the responsibility for obedience from you. A genuine believer will follow in obedience. James 1.22 backs this up. He says, uh, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Therefore, deceiving yourselves. If we just take in the knowledge of God, we just take in God's word, we just go through the motions and we we think we're somehow saved. He goes, you're not. If you say you know him, but you're not obeying him, you're not a doer of the word, you're just a hearer of the word, bring it before the Lord. Say, search me, O God, know my heart. Know my heart. And notice this, loved ones. This struck me this week. The Bible is not afraid of words like striving. You know that? It's not afraid of words like striving, fighting, effort, and work. Case in point, Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone, without which what? No one will see the glory of God. Strive for peace, not in your own strength, not for your own glory, but in his power for his glory. Strive for peace with everyone. Fight the good fight of the faith, 1 Timothy 6, 12. Fight, that's an action. Here's another one, Paul, Philippians 2, 12. Work out your salvation. Notice what he doesn't say there? Work for your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. The image he gives there is of an athlete working hard to prepare, to train. The Bible doesn't shy away from that. We're called to that in living out our obedience to Christ. The key is this, though, that Christ has given us and will continue to give all we need to do it by his power within us because he acted in his love for you and me. Awesome. He's like, yes, I saved you. And here's all of the power of eternity I'm growing in you to see you more into my image and brought to completion. And I will never quit. God cares more about your and my sanctification than we do. He's more committed to it than we are. Rest in that today, loved ones. You have a good father who's like, hey, I'm for you. But will you follow me? the genuine believer says yes because he acted the truth is this it's impossible to obey God's commands without him and loved ones hey I'm just a man like I see one of my seven year olds sitting in the front row here Samuel Samuel you'd agree you fool me quite a bit right fool me all the time love you (laughs) you fool me all the time but here's the reality I'm just a man you can fool me You can fake it for a while. You can. You can say the right lingo. You can do the right tasks. You can fake it for a while. But but it can't last. 
That's going to die off. Why? Why? Because the truth is not in you, which means God's power is not in you. And it takes a supernatural work of the truth of God through the power of God out of a love for God and others. Because the Christian life is always lived from the inside out. It won't last. Hey, just had it really impressed on you. Those of you here, singles, that you're like, does God have a spouse for me that actually loves him? Be patient. Wait. Use wisdom. Just because someone says they follow Christ, be discerning. This is where coming to the community of faith is a protection. You have people speak into your life. Does their obedience match their proclamation? They can do it for a time. But it will be seen for what it is if it's not in Christ. To live as a true Christ follower, you must display the proof of salvation, genuine obedience to Christ. Rule-keeping behavior is not a heart relationship with God. Do not confuse the two. Rule-keeping behavior is not a relationship with the heart of God. Do not confuse it. And when we display the proof of salvation, that genuine obedience, we begin to display, last point today, the fruit of obedience, growing maturity in Christ. The fruit of obedience. So the proof of salvation is obedience. Now what's the fruit of the obedience? Here it is. Growing maturity in Christ. Look at verse 5a. It says this. But whoever keeps his word in him, whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Now remember, the word to keep there means to guard or to watch over. John uses it again here. John goes on to state the fruit of one's life that is living in obedience to the word of God is this. The love of God maturing in him and being perfected. That's the fruit of one who is walking in obedience to Christ. The word love there, you've probably heard this before. The word love there is agape. Everyone say that with me. Agape. Agape, which means this. Selfless, sacrificial, selfless, sacrificial, benevolent. means serving others before yourself and ultimately supernatural love that loves God and loves others before oneself. Selfless, sacrificial, benevolent and ultimately supernatural love that loves God and others before oneself. Now you see why we need a savior. Now you see why you can only fake it for a time. That's not gonna last if you don't have the power of Christ. Our default is to always love ourselves first. This is not like any form of so-called love that our culture gives, emphasizes this. You ever heard this? And the Lord convicted me of this about maybe two years ago, maybe about two years ago, that when so often when I say, um, I love you to my wife, I was actually saying, I love how you make me feel. I love the fact that you did something for me that I liked. That's not agape. That's all based on performance. Or this one, think about it. How often do we say, oh, I love ice cream. Anyone like ice cream here? Yeah, right here, right here. Yes, yes, me too, vanilla, French vanilla. But here's the thing. We say, I love ice cream. No, you love how it makes you feel. You like the taste of it. You like the sugar rush if you're my kids, right? You don't love ice cream. 
That is not agape love. That's the natural love that we have of our flesh to say, please me, me first, me before you, me before God. But this is a love that has to be supernaturally given and driven by God himself. And as one humbles themselves in obedience under the authority of God's word, this is the beautiful thing that happens. The supernatural result of this is that spiritual maturity increases and is increasing and is perfected because the love that we have for God and others deepens and achieves its purposes by his power within us and we are changed more into his image. That is Christ-likeness. That is awesome. That's better than any ice cream, I guarantee it. It's awesome being made into the very image of God himself. Not becoming God himself, but being made into his image. You get a taste of that. Oh, your heart screams, freedom! Get out of here. Anything that hinders. Yes, Lord, may it be so. You see this, Danny Aiken put it this way, he's a commentator. I love this. He says, in keeping and obeying his word, my love for Jesus grows matures and is brought to its intended goal, perfection. I love this. Just let this sift over you. In keeping and obeying his word, my love for Jesus grows, matures, and is brought to its intended goal. The love of God being perfected in us in the image of Christ. Wow. That's why John finishes here in the back half. Look at the back half of verse five and six. But whoever keeps his his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked, he being Christ, okay? Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now the word abide there, I love this. It's one of the most challenging words in all of scripture. The word abide in the Greek means to remain or to ensure or to not leave from. So if I say I abide with Christ, I'm not leaving from Christ. I'm remaining in Christ. I'm remaining under Christ. I'm remaining under his word in obedience to it. That's what it means to abide with him. To abide in Christ is to remain in fellowship with Christ. Listen, anything that disrupts fellowship with my wife and I wreaks havoc on our marriage and needs to be dealt with soon. That is what sin does, not only in our relationship, but in the relationship with our Heavenly Father. If it's not dealt with, it disrupts the fellowship that is there, the abiding that fellowship brings. And we abide in Christ by living in constant dependence upon Him. Communion with Him and love this, friendship with him. Friendship with Christ. It means to depend on him completely for all we need in order to live for him and serve him by his power at work in us. And the beautiful result of this, loved ones, this goes way beyond legalism. It goes way beyond anything your flesh wants to try to take. You don't have to do that. Listen, listen. The beautiful thing is this, that when we delight in the Lord's commands... His life literally becomes our own. We share the life of Jesus Christ increasingly. Nothing touches that. Try it. Nothing touches it. We share the life of Jesus Christ. Christ's life, his character increasingly becomes our own. I love that expression. Like father, like son. Boom. Love it. 
I tried to think of something for the ladies, like father, like daughter. I, I, maybe that'll work. I don't know, like mother, like, but you know, anyway. You see what I mean? Like father, like son. Image bearer, beautiful, beautiful. I'll sum it up this way. And I'm going to slow the pace down here so that you'll be able to take this note. This, you just see this so beautifully. To the more we abide with God, the more we know God. The more we abide with God, draw near to God, have fellowship with God, to not forsake that with, with TV and internet and friends and parties and anything else we want to do, the more we abide with God, the more we know him. Now, what's the impact of that? Number two, the more we know God, what happens? The more we love him. The more we know God's beautiful nature, the person of Jesus Christ, sharing his life, the more we know him, the more we love him. So the more we abide with God, the more we know God. The more we know God, the more we love God. And this hit this week, the more we love God, the more we obey God. The more we delight in him, the more we know him, the more we love him, the more we obey him. Love for Christ, obedience to Christ. Connected completely. The more we love God, the more we obey God. And here's this, the more we obey God, the more fruit we see from God. The more we obey, the more fruit we see. Because his power at work in us that is bringing that work to completion on the day of Jesus Christ, which is coming very soon. Just look around us. You see it. All right? I'm going to ask you to open your Bible. Remember what I say? You need, you need your Bibles? Keep your hand in First John, but let's go to John 15. John chapter 15. Let's turn our pages there. You'll see the initial verses on your screen. But turn it in your Bible because we're going to dissect it a bit. This is the love of God being perfected. When we talk about abiding, what are we talking about? And John chapter 15 unpacks this so beautifully. Go back to it time and time again and refresh your heart in what abiding means. Look at this. John chapter 15, starting at verse 4, Jesus says this, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father's glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So clear, so clear out of the mouth of our Savior. But look at those passages. Does not our flesh fight against this so hard? Abide in Christ? No, 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 no. I'm here for me. Instead of being dependent, we want independence. We fight for independence so much. Look at the culture we live in. Be your own person. They even have grocery stores named after independence. It's called independent. Ah! Right? All right? I'm not, hey, shout out to independent grocery. They got some good stuff. Okay, 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 okay. Just saying, just saying. All right? But here's the thing. We want independence. And instead of freedom in Christ, do you ever get this? We want the control of Christ. We want to be God in our lives. We want to control things how we want to control things. 
Instead of fellowship with him, we seek individualism from him. Instead of a life of communion with him, we seek a life of convenience from him. And in light of this, the statement comes true that if we truly abide in Christ, it will be evident in how we live our lives. Bottom line for this message, if we truly abide in Christ, it will be evident in how we live our lives. And you, some of you may be asking, well, how do I abide in Christ? What does that look like? All right, real quick, five ways. Five ways we abide in Jesus Christ. And we'll just take John 15. Keep your hand in John 15. We're going to need it, okay? We're just going to do a quick exposition of this. Number one, through his son. How do we abide in Christ? How do we abide in God? Abiding with Jesus Christ through his son, God's son, only son, Jesus Christ. Look at John 15, four and six. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Through his son, How do I abide in God through his son, Jesus Christ? Repent of your sin. Confess your sin and surrender to him as your Lord and Savior. Romans says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. There is no other way to abide but through him. And if that's you this morning, I implore you with everything that I can. You may think you have a lot of knowledge about God stocked up and it's somehow earning you favor. You may think you're working your way to God. It does not work that way. There is one way to God. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ, Acts 4.12. You can't, it doesn't work any other way. Don't let this culture try to deceive you and think that somehow being a good person is going to get you to God. It doesn't. Otherwise, this text isn't true. It isn't true if that's the case. It is impossible to abide in Christ without a personal relationship with Christ. Number two, how do we abide in Christ? Number one, it has to start through his son. Number two, through his power, through the power that Christ gives us as a result. Look at John 15, five. He says this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You're not the vine. You're not the vine. Everyone say, I'm not the vine. Right. He's the vine, we are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Stunning part right here. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Your own power means nothing. Your own savvy and wisdom means nothing. Apart from Jesus Christ's power in you, you can do nothing. This is humility for the flesh right here. Isn't that just like a torpedo into your flesh? This is humility for our flesh. This is weakness in the flesh that apart from him, we can do nothing. We can't earn this or achieve this. That takes your pride pretty low pretty quick through his power, through his son, through his power. Number three is this. We abide in Christ through his word, through his word. Look at John 15, seven, first part. He says, if you abide in me and my what? My words abide in you. My words abide in you. Consistent, and this can be boiled down to this, consistent time in God's word. And I purposely didn't say 15 minutes a day, 20 minutes. Consistent time in God's word We're not trying to train legalists here, okay? Consistent time in God's word. There's a ton of, you ever notice this? Go into the books. I went into one of the bookstores, not going to name it. Went into one of the bookstores the other day, went into the spirituality section and saw this. A ton of ideas out there today of how to get closer to God. Get closer to God. Pop culture ideologies, secular meditation, even exercise programs that sort of bring you closer to God and so-called self-help books. 
so-called self-help books with new strategies or methods, five new revelations of how to get closer to God. Listen, this is a good word. You'll see it on the screen. If it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. Done. There's only one who was there from the beginning, the word of God himself, John 1.1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. Done. Okay? Stick to the source. All truth is God's truth. Make no mistake. All truth is God's truth, but not all truth is God's word. Okay? All truth is God's truth. Yes, exercising will make you healthier. But not all truth is God's word. Physical exercise has some benefit. But godliness has benefit for this life and the life to come. Done. He has the final say. Stick to the source. And by the way, if you're like, where do I start? I made sure at the back there, Marg and Ian have done a great job. We have reading plans at the back for you. Right there, to guide you through God's word. All right, start there. Pick one up on your way out from the connections desk. Number four, through prayer. Through prayer. How do we abide with God? Through prayer. Look at John 15, 7. The second part. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, here it is, ask. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. There's prayer. See, the beautiful thing about spending consistent time in prayer individually in your own quiet time and corporately with us as a church, you know what the beautiful thing is? Is that prayer is the avenue where our heart and will is aligned to God's. Prayer is the avenue where our heart and will are aligned to God's. That's why Jesus says, ask whatever you wish. Because as you grow in your love for him, your desires are his desires. They reflect. His desires become your desires because it's pushing you. The Holy Spirit is creating in you the image of Christ and therefore the desires of Christ. Love it. Love it. And we have a prayer meeting coming up. Corporate prayer meeting. Curtis said, October 25th. And by the way, it's 7.30 to 9. Okay? Not 7 to 9. 7.30 to 9. All right? Right across the hall. Be there for that. Powerful nights. Lastly, this. How do we abide in Christ? Number one, through his son. We abide in God through his son, Jesus Christ. Number two, through the power of Christ. Number three, through his word. Number four, through prayer. Number five is this, through obedience, putting it into practice. John 15, eight, look at this. Jesus goes on to say, by this my father's glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We abide with Christ through obeying Christ and what he says and how we live out our personal lives and how we serve in the church consistently, faithfully. Serving is an act of abiding in the church. I don't want to be a church where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. The act of serving in the church is a gift. We were not meant to be consumers. The whole process, the whole truth behind abiding is that we will actively live that out. And I love, I got to say, I look around this room and I just think of all the teaching going on in Harvest Kids right now. And I see that you had a chair to sit on today, which means our setup team did their job today. They are growing in Christ's likeness by serving. Love them so much and appreciate them for that. Can we just give a hand to our volunteers, please? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is where the fruit of God in our lives grows. It grows through serving, not consuming. It grows through working it out. Harvest Essentials is coming up next Saturday. Curtis, sign up at the back. That is the gateway into serving, into the church. 
is beautiful. I love how Adrian Rogers says this, and we begin to close out with this. We study the Bible to know God, but we obey the Bible to really know God. Yes. We study the Bible to know him, but we obey it to really know him and to share his life. This is how we walk, how Jesus walked and live out his life through ours by his power. Last question of the day, loved ones. How are you abiding in Christ? Through the word, through prayer, through his strength, in obedience, in humility. How's your abiding? Just take a... What areas are you not walking in the way that Christ walked, loved ones? And what's the next step you need to take today and get right with him? Again, you're not doing this to earn favor with him, but as an outflow of your love for him. This is what it means to live as a true follower of Christ and displaying the proof of your salvation, a genuine obedience to him, and from that, loved ones, displaying the fruit of obedience, a growing maturity in him. This is how we know we've come to know him. Clear. This is how we know we've come to know him. This is how his love is perfected in us. And this is how Christ becomes all to us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gift, the gift of your word. Lord, we need it so much. Without it, I don't even want to know what we would be like. I thank you that in your love for us, you gave us instruction. You gave us encouragement. You gave us correction. God, as we seek to live lives that glorify your name, and thank you that, Lord, you say your word makes, makes wise the simple. Lord, thank you that you just simply have shown us today what a genuine follower of Jesus Christ looks like. And so, Lord, I pray right now, as we let this word set in our hearts and come under it, I pray that you would illuminate those areas. We're not abiding in you that you've shown us we need to get right with you. God, I pray that you would inspire us now to action, love in action. God, and we would, not out of uh, guilt, not out of shame, but Lord, out of an increasing love for you and desire for you, respond. Father, I pray right now that God, we would be a church, Harvest Bible Chapel, Ottawa would be a church where you are all to us, that the saving love of Christ is the measure of our lives for your glory, for our good. In Christ's name we pray, amen.